diamonds on my neck I like boarding jets, I like more than sex But nothing in this world that I like more than checks Money. All I really wanna see is the Money. I don't really need a D, I need Welcome back to the tea room with your lovely host, Black Tea, Earl Grey, and Palm Tea. We have a very special guest today by the name of Green Tea, um, but she typically goes by Rachel Richards, and she is a best-selling author and also a professional speaker. She speaks about money management, so we're really, really excited to have you on with us today, Rachel. Thank you so much for having me. It's exciting to be here. No worries. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about what your background is and kind of how you help people invest and save money? Yeah, of course. So I um, graduated from Center College in Kentucky in 2013 and immediately started a career as a financial advisor. Um, I did that for about a year and kind of then I kind of jumped around a little bit. But um, in that time, since I was a financial advisor, I wrote a book, my first book, Money Honey, um, which has been an Amazon bestseller. And it's all about making money management really easy and fun to learn about because I think a lot of the finance you know, resources out there, unfortunately, are pretty dry and boring. Um, so I launched that book and um, I was able to quit my job this year and retire because of my passive income. So um, I'm actually about to launch another book about passive income in November um, but yeah, mostly what I do these days is I write books and I'm a professional speaker and I do consulting and help people with their money. Nice. And in terms of, um, being a financial advisor, what, what were the resources to help you, I guess, gain more knowledge about, um, finance where your was it your parents when you grew up when you were younger or was it something you learned in college? What kind of, I guess, shaped you to want to become a, an advisor? Yeah. So the first book I ever remember reading was, that sparked my interest, was in middle school. Um, so I'm going to reveal how much of a nerd I am. I'm totally proud of my geekiness. But um, in sixth grade, I went to the summer camp where it was at like a water park. So really cool, right? Um, but I had found this book and it was something called like Motley Fool's Guide for Teens, How to Have More Money Than Your Parents Ever Dreamed Of, um, something like that. So I picked up the book and then instead of like playing at the water park and swimming, I would just sit by the side of the pool and read about compound interest and investing. So, <laughs> um, oh, wow. yeah, so that's where my passion started. And ever since then, I have just learned everything I possibly could about finance and investing in real estate. So I'm pretty much self-taught, mostly from books. Um, then I did go to college and my degree was in financial economics. So I learned a lot more in college. And then after college, I was a financial advisor. So I got my Series 7 and 66 certifications. And that way I could legally advise clients on how to invest their money. That's pretty impressive. Instead of going swimming, you wanted yeah. to read. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's what I like to brag about. <laughs> we also heard that you finished college debt free. I sure did. Um, in terms of how to do that, I, I really have two keys. So uh, first, I started working towards this goal in high school. Um, I just tried to be as impressive as I possibly could be in high school with sports and academics and extracurriculars because I knew it would help me get college scholarships. And one thing I was afraid of was going to college and graduating with a ton of debt, just because, you know, the books that I'd read, I kind of realized that that could be really hard and make it challenging for me to start off on the right foot financially. So I figured 
I want to graduate from college debt free. So I, I worked really hard. I took as many AP classes as possible. Um, I went to Center College, and that costs forty grand a year. So it's a really expensive, like private liberal arts school. Um, but because I took AP classes, I went in as a second semester freshman. Um, and then I earned scholarships that covered about $30,000 worth of tuition. So I only had to make up about 10000 each year. So that's kind of the first thing is just that I started working towards this in high school. And then secondly, I found a really high paying job um, after I graduated from high school. So at that point, I was discouraged. I was kind of scared because I had no idea how I would come up with $10,000 each summer. Um, certainly, you know, McDonald's minimum wage or like at the time I was working at American Eagle and that just wouldn't cut it. So no matter how many hours I put in. So I ended up finding a direct sales position with Cutco Cutlery, um, the Cutco Knives. So maybe you all have heard of it, but it was brilliant for me because I could finally control my earnings level. And the harder I worked, the more money I made. So I worked my butt off because I had that motivation. Wow. And in terms of the, I'm curious, in terms of the scholarships, because $30,000 is a lot of money and that's great that you were able to pay most of your tuition with that. Were the scholarships mainly around sports or was it more educational scholarships? Um, My biggest scholarship was an academic scholarship. And then my second biggest was a piano scholarship. Oh, look at you play the piano also. Yeah, I do. I started playing when I was five. (laughs) Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. You must have some great parents. <laughs> yeah, I really do. I used to work at um, Hollister in college. Oh, and nice. Where were you working at Hollister? I did, only for about like, a couple of weeks. And then I <laughs> when I hear Hollister is like the heavy cologne, like the intense perfume smells coming from oh, the store. <laughs> Everything yeah. smells like yes. you walk in. Just get a whiff of that immediately. <laughs> I won't lie. I, I own some Hollister perfume at one point. <laughs> just to clarify, that was after in, in high school you were, excuse me, after high school, that's when you worked for the Knives place? Yeah, I worked correct? at American Eagle during high school. And then right after I graduated, I found the job with Cutco. Okay. I definitely remember. So you were, were you going door to door selling knives? Um, yeah, so it wasn't exactly door to door, but essentially you would call and make appointments. You know, you'd start off with people that, you know, and then you get referred to other people. So you'd make appointments and then you'd go out to their house and do a sales presentation. Yeah. I was thrilled that I was selling sharp objects to their family and friends, but they got over it (laughs) once I started making money. (laughs) So I guess besides, because you, you have talked about passive income, um, I guess for people who don't write, what would be another, I guess, good income for someone to kind of obtain while they're either in college, while they're trying to pay their loans, or just maybe working in general for professionals after college? Yeah, so I think there's a lot of good ways these days to make kind of extra income on the side. Um, and, you know, it's so important to always be focusing on increasing your income. Um, but you know, I even just recently talked to a high schooler, um, here in Louisville that was doing like mowing lawns, but he was making a ton of money. He was making better money mowing Mm -hmm. lawns than he would, you know, working at like a minimum wage job. So sometimes it's just about getting creative and like never having too much pride to do a certain job. Um, there's a lot to be made in lawn mowing, house sitting, pet sitting, um, shoveling snow in the winter. Um, and then if you're able to, if you like own a house or if you're able to rent out a room and wherever you rent, then 
that's always a good idea is just getting an extra roommate to bring in some income. Um, and then, you know, something that I do on a regular basis is I sell my clothes on Poshmark and I make, you know, it's not like I'm making thousands of dollars, but every little bit helps. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Would you I mean, I feel like you mentioned good activities, but I felt like a lot of them were for suburbs. Do you have any ideas for if people are in the city, maybe more, um, I guess, corporate type Yeah. So, sure. So, you know, there's two easy things to do if you're at a corporate job. And one of them is to apply, um, ask for a raise. And a lot of people don't think about that. And, you know, certainly if you've only been working there for a month, you know, you probably can't ask for a raise. But, you know, there's too many of my friends and family that I know that have worked at the same company for five years and have never gotten a raise and also have never asked for one. So that's just missed money right there. It's just laying on the table. So make sure you really advocate for yourself at your job. Secondly, um, you know, if you're not qualifying for a raise yet, then maybe you can talk with your boss, or your manager about advancement and growth opportunities and really set out a plan for yourself in the next year, you know, with your employer, what can I do to grow? What can I do to advance? And like, what can I do to keep growing my, uh, my salary here? And that conversation they would love to have with you because they want to keep you, they want to make sure you're loyal. And that actually looks really good on your part. Just wanting to be proactive about your future there. Good advice. Yeah, So I think knowing all of this, where there's people who are struggling to pay back loans, where there's people just struggling to make ends meet, or maybe someone who's not at a high paying job. Um, what are some tools that, Um, young adults can use to work towards being debt-free, to work towards figuring out, okay, let's come up with a five-year plan? Okay. So there are two apps that I will tell you guys about, and they're great. Um, First, like the first step in making any sort of financial progress is creating a budget because you simply, you have to understand where your money is going. So the first app I'm going to recommend is called YNAB. Um, it stands for you need a budget. And I think it costs like $2.99 a month or something like that. Um, I personally use Mint because it's free. Um, but I have heard no less than stellar things about YNAB. It helps you pre-plan how you're going to spend your paycheck and all of your expenses. So, you know, a lot of people I know use that and absolutely love it. Um, the second one that I will recommend specifically towards working um, towards being debt-free is a website called undebt.it. So U-N-D-E-B-T dot I-T, um, undebt.it. It's a free website and I haven't personally used it, but my readers rave about it all the time. So you basically put in your information about your debts and it gives you different payoff options on, and tells you here's what you should pay first to get the more, most bang for your buck. So it's just a really motivating app. Cool. I, I, I've heard of Mint, but I never heard of the other two that you brought up. Yeah, I've heard great things about both. I've also heard of Acorn, but I think that's just more about how the thing keeps track of how you save your, your money. Oh, okay. I don't know how it would work in terms of like larger. Yeah, debt. no, I think <laughs> Acorn is the one where any purchase you make, it rounds it up to the nearest dollar and then like saves that extra change for you. So I think that's the one. And that one's really cool. I love that idea. And I think it does invest it for you. So there are some investing apps out there like Betterment and Robinhood. And I think Acorn's one of them. So luckily, you know, in this day and age, there's like an app for everything, even investing. Yeah, (laughs) no, very true. And um, in terms of investing, 
being in New York, it's, as you know, it's, probably, it's very, very mm-hmm. expensive. And for us, of our paycheck is going towards rent. So in terms of, I guess, saving, what, what advice would you give to someone like me or Aubrey that lives in a larger city like New York? Um, what would be, I guess, the best step in terms of saving money or maybe a way to invest where you're getting back what you're putting in? Yes, absolutely. So um, in general, and this first piece of advice sort of applies to everyone, but I'll get into New York specifically too. But when someone tries to save more money, they generally do things like cooking at home more, shopping less, finding ways to be more frugal. Um, And what those things all have in common is that they're all focused on decreasing expenses. And that's great. Like we should all definitely, you know, focus on getting our spending in line, but you can only do that so much. You can't negotiate your rent payment or your car payment. Um, So when you really think about how to save more money, there are exactly two ways to do that. Number one is decrease expenses, but number two is increase your income. And the great thing about increasing your income is that it is unlimited. There's no one stopping you from making as much money as you want. So with cost of living so high in places like the Bay Area and New York City, people that are living there really need to focus on the latter, on increasing their income, or better yet, focus on both. And that's where you'll really make the most impact. Um, So a few tips for, you know, New Yorkers that are dealing with really high rent. Um, As you guys know, location is everything. So, you know, you don't have to be in the like most glamorous part of town, find an apartment that's in an affordable neighborhood, and then just plan on taking a few extra stops on the subway. Um, So that can just save you tons of money just doing that. And then this goes without saying, but live with a roommate. Um, And that's nearly essential if you're living in New York, you know, always have a roommate Um, share a space with somebody. Also, if you're allowed, and you'll have to check whether the building and the landlord lets you do this, but sublet your space when you're not there. So like if you're heading home for a week on the holidays, are you allowed to sublet it for a week or like rent it out on Airbnb? Um, And again, you have to check with your zoning and your landlord, but that can help offset costs. And then my last tip is absolutely skip owning a car if you're living in New York City and skip taking a taxi. So take a bike, use the subway, or use some other public transit. So less Ubers, you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, as unfortunate as that may be. <laughs> That's tough because sometimes you really just want to take that I know, Uber. It's, yeah, it's tempting. <laughs> And the train system here is, is terrible. <laughs> yeah, it's it's yeah. not good. It's especially on the weekends. Yeah. But but no, those are those are great tips because mm-hmm. sometimes we do can save a lot by taking that extra train ride as opposed to Uber. Yeah, living mm-hmm. everywhere. I feel like it definitely starts with little steps, mm-hmm. like instead of taking the cab or instead of even um, lunch in the city is super yes. expensive. So if you live, uh, for example, I live in Queens, uh, getting lunch in Queens or bringing lunch from home would save me so much money because of the cost that it is in Manhattan. Yes, exactly. And, you know, people that are listening, you don't need to change your entire lifestyle all at once. You know, it's pick one thing and implement one new thing a month and then you'll really make a lot of progress over time. I just thought of a question. Um, how do you, I know obviously you said you, you plan making a budget and then using certain apps, but how do you, I think yourself hold your, how would you hold yourself accountable to those little steps that you're making? Like, you know, because you can say, oh yeah, it'd be great for me to just not take that Uber mm-hmm. or it'd be great for me to not, um, you know, not get lunch that day in the city. But how do you kind of 
like what's a good way for someone starting out making those changes to hold themselves accountable? Yeah. So I might do one of two things. First, you can make a list of ideas of things, of changes you can make that you think you should implement, um, to save more money. And then you could just, you know, tell yourself, okay, I'm going to implement one new thing a week or one new thing a month. And, you know, as you're going through your list, if something is just too hard to eliminate, just come back to that one, try something else for now. Um, the other thing is, you know, it's really about your level of motivation and, um, nothing that anyone says will be able to motivate somebody else. The motivation really has to come from within. But one thing that helped me is all I did was I just started tracking my expenses. So for a month I went on mint, it's totally free. I linked all of my accounts and I just started tracking my expenses without holding myself back. Um, at the end of the month, and I feel like I shouldn't tell you guys this cause I'm supposed to be a financial whiz, but at the end of the month, my, my husband and I realized we spent over $900 that month just on food. So $900 on food for two people that's bigger than some people's mortgage payment. So that was a big wake up call for us. Um, Really, once you see where your money is going, it'll be very clear where to cut back. And sometimes just seeing that is motivation enough and you'll want to really start implementing those changes. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. So I know uh, we spoke a little bit about investing, but one of the big questions were, how can you make investing and money management fun, especially if it isn't typically part of a routine. Like I know for my father, that's something, an everyday thing that he checks on. But for someone like myself, that's not high on my priority list. So how do I incorporate it or make it fun, make it interesting so that I'm like, hey, let me check on. I love this question because this is right in my wheelhouse. Um, (laughs) So I have two (laughs) tips for this because investing in money management absolutely can be fun, especially when it's getting you toward your dream life and it's getting you towards financial freedom. Um, so first of all, use visuals, whether you're paying off debt or tracking your net worth, visuals are so much fun. Um, one thing I like to do is track my income and my expenses over time. And the goal is to increase your income and decrease your expenses. And the space between those two lines is what you're saving each month. So it's really fun to track that over time and then see how that space gets bigger and bigger over time. Um, I personally find visuals super motivating. So I would do something like that. And then um, secondly, I know investing tends to be scary for first timers. Like I remember the first time I invested, I was super nervous. So if that's what, if that's the main thing that's holding you back, I recommend pretend like you have $10,000 and pretend to invest it for a few months. So essentially do a simulation, see how it does. Um, monitor it, track it, you know, just, it's all fake. It's just pretend money. Um, but when you do that, it is way more fun and less stressful when it's not your real money on the line. And then when you feel more comfortable after a few months, you can slowly start investing your money. Okay. Mm -hmm. Would you advise going into day trading or taking classes on day trading? Cause I know if you're, it can be risky, but I do know you can make a lot of money quicker. Yeah. So that's a good question. Um, that really gets back to the, uh, great debate between active and passive management. So active management is when you're, you know, you're doing things like day trading and you're trying to purposefully find stocks at a low price and then wait for them to, to grow in price and then sell them for a profit. So you're kind of purposely making these, these timed moves in the market. Um, passive management is basically when you, um, buy something like an index fund that's passively managed, it tracks to something else, 
and you just let it sit there and you're not really, you know, trading all the time. You just kind of invest for the long term and it tracks to an, uh, to a market that's already on the Dow. So, um, you're really coming back to active versus passive management. I'm a big proponent in passive management. Um, what I have found and what the research has found is that passive index funds do just as well as active mutual funds. So passively managing your investments does just as well as actively managing your investments. Um, and normally you spend a lot less in fees and expense ratios when you invest passively. So that's why I'm a big proponent in passive investing. Hmm. Okay, interesting. <laughs> One of the other questions that we had um, so how are you, even now, it seems like you're still, even though you're retired, you still kind of do a lot in different areas to continue making money. How are you able to keep up with all of your roles? And how are you also able to establish yourself as a serious resource? I know now you can, because clearly you've done a lot, but prior to the books, prior to your positions, how were you able to establish yourself? Yeah. So um, one thing about passive income is it is definitely no get rich quick scheme. Um, so it still takes time and sometimes money up front to build the passive income stream and get it into place. So it's taken me years to kind of build up my passive income streams and then retire and live off of them. Um, but once you've created them, it's much more hands off. So, you know, for the two whole years, our, my focus with my husband was to build our passive income streams. We started a print on demand business, we grew our rental portfolio, I wrote my first book. We both worked full-time, but it was almost like we were working another full-time job in the evenings and on weekends. Um, so I'm definitely not saying passive income is easy to do. It's hard work to create, but we wanted to make a sacrifice now so that we could be financially independent forever. Um, and now that I'm retired, I kind of can go about it one of two ways. I can not work anymore and just kind of be hands-off, and I will sustain my income stream pretty well. Or I can t continue to work and grow my business and grow my income. Um, and since I'm an entrepreneur and I'm so passionate, I can't help but working. I love what I do. So I just want to keep, you know, adding value and, and focusing on money management education because I think it's so important. Um, and now in terms of credibility and kind of establishing myself um, with my first book, you know, since I was a financial advisor before my first book came out, that's really how I established credibility. Plus, like all during high school and college, I somehow just got the reputation of being like the money person. And I think it's because I was reading a lot of books and I knew how to do things. So all my family and friends came to me for money advice anyway. So there was a big network of people who sort of already trusted me. Nice. I love when hearing stories when people's passions become lucrative for them. And then it's amazing because you're 27, yeah, that's correct? Right. It's amazing that you can retire. <laughs> I know. There are so many people that wish they, they could say that. So that's a, that's a really great Thank you. And in terms, no worries. And in terms of books, let's say someone uh, like a, a young professional are looking to, are looking to invest or they're not even sure how to start investing. What kind of books would you uh, recommend for them? Aside from yours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Start with mine. And then, <laughs> no, um, one website I loved a lot when I was in high school and college is called money under 30. So that's a website has lots of really cool resources um, also afford anything is a great podcast. So for any podcast lovers, like we are, um, afford anything is really mm -hmm. good for finance and real estate investing. 
Um, and then I love the book, like especially for millennials or younger generations. I love the book. I will teach you to be rich by Ramit Sethi. And I'm not positive how to pronounce his name, but it's called, I will teach you to be rich. And it's just this no nonsense guide about like, here's how to negotiate credit card fees and negotiate your interest rate down. And it's kind of like all these different hacks about how to save money in places. So I love that book. Um, and then again, I would, I would just definitely use the apps that I mentioned earlier. So undebt.it and YNAB and Mint. Hmm, thank okay. you for those. <laughs> and going back to um, investing, besides, I guess, investing in a 401k, what would you say would be, I guess, another, I guess, another resource to invest in? Are there any particular like stocks that someone should should be venturing off to, or should they be focused on like a mutual fund? Yeah. So this is such a great question. I'm so glad you guys asked this. Um, there's a couple different types of accounts that people can open. So there's three that I kind of thought of, but first is just, you know, having, this is for broad savings. So this isn't for saving for anything specific. So for broad savings, you can just invest in a regular account. So I would open something called a discount brokerage account. And that's typically a place like Fidelity or Vanguard or E-Trade, but it's where you can do investing in an account with, with much lower fees. Um, so it's called a discount brokerage account. Right. Um, you know, and I'm not legally allowed to advise on specific investments anymore, but I do know, you know what I said earlier about index funds and passive investing. That's going to save you a lot in fees, and that's shown to um, perform as well as active funds or mutual funds that are out there. Um, so for me, like my personal strategy is finding a few good index funds. Um, and then one type of index fund in particular is called an ETF. So that's an exchange traded fund. Um, and it's, it's basically a type of index fund. Sometimes it can have even lower fees, which I always think is important because why would I pay, you know, a big fee just to make an investment? So I love index funds and ETFs um, and just a discount brokerage account. And then there's a couple other types of accounts you can open for specific savings. So first, if you're looking to save money for healthcare, an HSA is like one of the most underutilized investment accounts out there. Um, so an HSA is a health savings account. And if you have a high deductible health plan, you are eligible to open an H HSA. And basically, there's three tax benefits. One, the money you put in is tax deductible. Two, the balance grows tax-free. And three, withdrawals for qualified medical expenses are not taxed at all. So it's pretty amazing. And then your HSA follows you anywhere. So even if you change employers or insurance companies, that money is still yours forever. And it can be invested in the stock market, just like you can with an IRA or 401k. So that's a really good option for saving for healthcare. And then um, my last option I'd recommend is more for saving for education, and that's called a 529 plan. And this is just a tax-advantaged savings account for qualified education costs. So it's only for education. Um, if you withdraw money that's not used for that purpose, not only will you be taxed, it will be subject to a 10% penalty. So you have to be super careful. Make sure you're positive you're only going to use this on education costs. Um, and also with a 529 plan, you can also invest that in the stock market to grow your savings. So those are kind of the three things that I would recommend. Hmm. I'm curious, how, how do they track that, it, that the money is going towards education? 
Like, um, any- you know, that's a good question, but I'm sure there are, I don't know if there's forms or, or whatnot, but there's, they definitely have a way to track right. it. Cause I've heard, you know, really nightmare stories about people using it for something else and being penalized. So you got to be super careful. Definitely. That was very specific information. <laughs> <laughs> very helpful. Um, we have another question. This was actually from, um, one of our listeners. Um, and it might've been something we kind of touched on, but I guess this is again, around, around saving money aside from retirement. So what is the best way to save money long-term outside of retirement plans? Um, I would still say those, those three things, just the broad savings, investing in a discount brokerage, HSA and 529. Cause all, none of those are retirement plans. Those are all things outside of retirement plans. Got it. Um, do you want to talk about retirement yeah, a little bit? I'm open to it. Um, I guess, I mean, I know for me, I have a, you know, I, I'm, I have that 401k. That's the thing. I feel like, you know, that basic thing, like, okay, make sure you, wherever you're employed, you have 401k, but I don't know anything beyond that. Okay. Well, let me give you the breakdown. Um, I saw a meme, (laughs) I saw a meme the other day. It was so funny. It was like the employer said, we're now offering a 401k. And the employee was like, I don't think I can run that far. (laughs) So, <laughs> yes. I think I, I want to use that to promote that. No, that's right. But it speaks to say that how like financially illiterate like a yeah. lot of us are, and mm-hmm. it's because if you're if you're not learning it at home, it's kind of hard to kind of grasp the the terminology sometimes. Or like you were saying earlier, sometimes it's scary when you hear investing. It's just like, well, okay, I have a bank, I have a savings account, but then what do I do with yeah. this information? So I think like financial advisors, just having more courses about finance mm-hmm. generally, I always feel like it should start in like grade school. Let's have yeah. like, a savings class or something. <laughs> Instead but... of our mathematics <laughs> class. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a problem. I mean, that's one of the biggest crises in, in our generation, in my opinion, is that there's no financial education in the school systems. So people don't know what the hell they're doing. Um, so I would say, you know, a 401k, just to kind of give you a breakdown um, is an employer sponsored plan and it's a retirement plan. And in my opinion, it's one of the best retirement plans out there. Um, so with a 401k, you know, only people that are employees of a company would have access to one and not all employees even offer a 401k. Um, but if you have access to one, it's really nice because it's basically an account that you can save money in and invest money in and you get tax benefits. So traditionally with a traditional 401k, any money that you invest is tax deductible like this year. So it's tax deductible upfront. Um, And that's really nice because you're getting a little bit of a tax break. Uh, But the biggest benefit of 401ks normally is that a lot of times the employer offers um, like a match. So if they basically will say, okay, if you contribute 3% of your salary, I'll match 3% and I'll add in a contribution for you. So like the, the number one takeaway, if you have a 401k is make sure you're at least contributing enough to take advantage of your employer match. If you have one, because that's just free money that they're giving you. So that is super important. Um, and I think with a 401k, I think the maximum comp- contribution limit is like $19,000 a year. So you can sock away a lot of money in that thing. <laughs> Good to know, because I think, like I said, at first, you don't really know what you're, I mean, I, it was surprising to me when you said that most, that not every employer has it. I feel right. like that should be, Standard. it should yeah. be, I'm, it's not, yeah. but it should be. One of the other questions from our listeners was, 
about loans. I feel like that was what everybody wanted to talk about. Mm -hmm. Is it worth it to take out a low interest loan to pay off your student loans, such as Sophie? I'm not too familiar with that one, but I assume you'll... Yeah, I've heard of Sophie, or I don't don't know if it's Sophie or Sophie. I've never known how to pronounce it, but um, I've heard of that. I've heard of Ernest, and I've heard of a couple other ones. And, you know, I re- it's hard to just give blanket advice. You know, it could be good for one person to do that, but maybe not good for somebody else to do that. But normally the biggest benefit of doing a loan consolidation is that, A, you're kind of putting everything into one payment. So, you know, if you have federal loans and private loans and all these different loans, that can be annoying to kind of keep track of. But loan consolidation means you're consolidating all into one, which makes things more simple. And then the biggest benefit also of loan consolidation is that a lot of times you can qualify for a lower interest rate than what you're paying on like a federal loan. So you kind of have to, you know, it's probably best to meet with somebody, kind of do all the math, see if it really makes sense for you. Um, Sometimes it's not good because, you know, maybe you have a federal loan right now that you're going to repay in 10 years. And then maybe when you go to do a loan consolidation, um, they make it all the way out into 20 years which is nice because it lowers your payment right now, but then you're not going to have the thing paid off until 20 years from now. And so you'll pay a lot more in interest over time. So you kind of have to factor in like, how is the interest rate going to change? How's the payment going to change? How's the term length going to change? But you know, once you look at everything, then you can make really the best decision for yourself. What are your thoughts on loan forgiveness programs? If you have any, should people enroll hoping to be debt free soon? Yeah. So I love this question. And I got, um, I looked up some stats online that I'll share with you guys. So, um, about a year ago, this time in 2018, us student loan debt hit an all time record high and the average student loan debt was $35,000 and it has only increased since then. So this is like an epidemic. Um, But it seems like the problem was at its worst in 2012. Um, And a study basically showed that loans dispersed in 2012 have defaulted at a faster rate than any other loan cohort since the financial crisis. So that's crazy. And over 2.7 million borrowers owe more than $100,000, $100,000 of student loans. So that's all from a Bloomberg article. The problem in 2012 was that students were graduating and facing really high unemployment rates because the economy really hadn't rebounded a lot since 2008. Um, And then interest rates and college costs keep increasing. So it kind of was the worst for people graduating then. Um, And it's really, it's hard to say what I think about loan forgiveness, but I just strongly advise everyone to put together an action plan and that way you are prepared for worst case scenario. Because if it were if it were me, my attitude would basically be, you know, hey, if I get my loans forgiven, that's awesome. But if not, let's be prepared. So let's prepare for worst case scenario. Um, you know, things you can consider are something like an income-based repayment plan. So I know a lot of people that do that. And that eases the burden on you now while you're in the early stages of your career, um, you know, while you're not making as much. So that can help you when you're just getting started out. And then the other thing that we already talked about is looking into loan consolidation. Uh, But whatever you do, you know, make sure you do all the math to ensure that your plan isn't going to end up costing you more in the long run. No, that makes sense. And I had another question for you personally. We live, I feel like we live in a generation where there's so many ways to make 
a, a good amount of money or to retire early without going to school necessarily. So as an entrepreneur, do you think college is necessary for people to retire early or to be more financially stable? Or do you kind of think college is kind of a burden because of the, the loans? Or do you feel like you're still, you still need a necessary, the necessary tools from college in order to become I I don't think college is necessary. Um, if you look at some of the founders of some of the biggest companies out there, like a lot of them didn't even finish college. Like I, I think Bill Gates never, I think he dropped out of college and started his company in his garage or something. Um, there's so many stories of entrepreneurs dropping out of college to start their business and becoming wildly successful. Um, so, and you know, again, it's up to each individual person, but I don't think college is absolutely necessary or should be like marketed or promoted to everyone as being necessary. Because I think the cost of college is so difficult to overcome these days. So you really have to take into account, you know, here's how much this degree is costing me. Here's how much I think I'm going to be making. Or, you know, is all the math going to work out? Is my return on investment there? Or is this like a waste of money? So, it, and it's hard to predict that because you don't really know how much you'll be making or how much debt you'll end up with. So, um, you only can do like what's, what's best and make your best educated guess. Um, but you know, I think there's a lot of alternatives to getting a degree or, or just not getting a degree at all and sort of starting your own business. But you know, one thing, um, a lot of people I think are doing now is they're starting off at like a community college or a local college for the first couple of years and then transferring their credits to a university um, and then finishing their degree there. And so that's an excellent use of, you know, your money um, and not, not spending a ton of money on four years at like a really expensive school. So I think there's ways um, you can go to college without spending a ton of money. But I would also say like, no, it's not necessarily for everybody. I guess I was going to ask you, um, I'm curious if when you, before you wrote your book, when you were like pitching it, or maybe you knew someone, did you have any, I don't want to say maybe the word isn't pushback, but like, did you get any rejection at first? Or like, how did you end up handling that? Um, was it kind of easy to land that book deal for you? How, how was that process? Yeah, that's a good question. So I actually did not publish my book traditionally. So I didn't get a book deal or a traditional publisher. Um, it actually didn't even cross my mind to try to do that. I'm not sure why, because I think that's what most people would think if they're writing a book. Um, but I decided to self-publish my book. And I basically, you know, I had this idea in my mind and I'd had it for a while, but I didn't know how to put pen to paper or how to write or launch a book. Um, I read this book called Published by Chandler Bolt, and it had like 99% of what I needed to know to write, market, launch, and self-publish my book. So once I read that, I was like, oh, this is perfect. I know exactly what to do now. And I basically just followed that guide without really thinking about it. Um, but it, you know, there's a lot of benefits to self-publishing, one of them being you're not giving 85 or 90% of your royalty to somebody else. So you get to keep a lot more, more of the revenue, which is important when you're, you know, when you're the author and creator of a work. Um, now for this next book, I considered doing traditional publishing. So I wrote a book proposal. I did all the work. I contacted literary agents. Um, I did get three agents that wanted to represent me, which was a really big deal. And I'm really proud of that. Um, but you know, once I thought it through a little bit more, I just decided 
you know, self-publishing really worked out for me the first time. And there's no point in kind of giving away that revenue to somebody when I know I can do it on my own. So I decided to, again, do self-publishing for the second book. Hmm. Okay. Sounds um, It we'll comes come out, out on November 19th. Oh, yes, we're getting weeks. very close. How nice. exciting. And for those who are reading your book or who want to pick up your book and, and want to get more ideas about financial freedom, what would you say would be the biggest takeaway from a reader? For my first book, Money, Honey, or my second book? Okay. Mm-hmm. So, or, okay. So my first book, Money, Honey, um, you know, it's really just about making the basics of money management fun. And there's a couple things in there that people consistently come back to me and say, like, this has changed my life. Like, this has been really awesome. So those two things are first, the savings buckets. I talk about a really specific savings strategy because I think savings can be just confusing because if you're just saving 10% of your paycheck, you know, but then what do you do with that money? How do you save it? What is, what is it being saved for? So I kind of came up with these four savings buckets so you can really specify where your savings is going into. So people love the savings buckets and then people love the section on investing because it just makes it really easy. Um, you know, how to invest, what to invest in. And I even talk like one of the questions I used to get a lot was like, okay, Rachel, I want to invest, but how do I physically go buy a stock? Like, what do I do? So I talk about how to open a brokerage account and how to make a trade. And I even have screenshots and everything. So, you know, those are generally the biggest takeaways from Money Honey. And then my second book, which is called Passive Income Aggressive Retirement, little play on words there. Um, that's the one coming out November 19th. And, you know, that talk, it's not like it's a memoir, you know, I was able to quit my job at age 27 and live off my passive income. And I talk about that in the intro, but the book is really more about here's what passive income is. Here's why it's so much better than traditional retirement and so much more attainable. You know, anyone can do it. Here are the five main types and then here's how to get started. So it's really a how-to guide for anybody that, you know, is interested in financial independence and passive income. Now I'm excited. I want to start. Uh, <laughs> I'm excited too. <laughs> and for people who want to get your book, where could they, could they go to buy yeah. it, to read it? Yeah, the best place is Amazon. I have an ebook and paperback. And this next book, I'll also have an audiobook version. Yeah. Nice. nice. I was just about to act. Like, yeah, people have been uh, asking me for two years, so I figure it's time that I listen to them. <laughs> okay, good. I definitely think I'm going to read the book now. Before, I wanted to already, yeah. but then I was like, uh, I'll wait. Let me know how you like it. And if you guys have any questions, um, reach out to me. Feel free. And that goes for all anyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much for this. Like, I think we both got so many great advice and tips for people who are, you know, just learning about investing or want to get a more handle on their finances. So thank you so much. I'm so glad you guys, this has been so fun. Thank you again for having me on. I really appreciate it. No worries. So for our listeners, I hope you were writing and taking down notes. (laughs) And if you want to grab her book, Uh, money honey or are you looking forward to her next book make sure you go on amazon as she said she's going to come out with an audio version so stay tuned for that and if you guys have any questions for us please follow us on um instagram underscore tea room we changed it now it's now it's the tea room pod yes 
and it's for Twitter is also the Tea Room Pod, and then Facebook the Tea Room Podcast. Yes, and also please subscribe to us on iTunes to hear more from us. Keep, Keep sipping. sipping. I was born a flex. Yes. Diamonds on my neck. I like boarding jets. I like morning sex. But nothing in this world that I like more than checks. Money. All I really wanna see is the money. I don't really need a D, I need the money.